And welcome to Thursday on the Piero Pelka podcast. Michael Pelka with you here on September 21st. An absolutely jam-packed news day. So many things that we have to get to today, including an update on the auto workers' strike from our friend Lauren Fix, the car coach. Lauren's got some inside info, and we will talk to her a little later on. We'll also try and get to as much as we can from yesterday and the House hearing with Merrick Garland that was uh, kind of infuriating. I guess a lot of us thought that was really infuriating. We'll play you some of the clips, some of the highlights I thought were going on, and we'll, uh, we'll make some announcements in the news world that I think are showing some positive signs, some things that are pointing to common sense returning. But today is also the day that Volodymyr Zelensky has chosen to once again visit Washington, D.C. to beg for more money and try and bolster support for his battle against Russia and Russians' invasion of Ukraine, which doesn't seem like it's ever going to end, does it? No, it feels like it's nonstop. And all of your money and my money that's being handed over to the Ukrainians without anyone actually keeping an eye on it, it's uh, enough already. I've had enough of it. And you know who else has had enough of it? Senator Rand Paul, who went into the House of Representatives yesterday and addressed the House as well as the Senate, talking about why we need to stop committing our money, your money, to the Ukrainians. We will not consent to any expedited passage of any spending bill that provides any more American aid to Ukraine. It's as if no one has noticed that we have no extra money to send to Ukraine. Our deficit this year will exceed $1.5 trillion. Borrowing money from China to send it to Ukraine makes no sense. It's not as if we have some sort of rainy day fund sitting around trillions of dollars at a pot of money and we're just going to send that to Ukraine. We're going to borrow it. When we borrow it and create new money to pay for that borrowing, we create the inflation that is plaguing our economy. That's just one of the great points he made yesterday, especially when you you look at we're going to borrow the money mostly from China. Yeah. And then when we pay China, they use they, that money to buy oil from Russia, which helps makes Russia richer so they can buy weapons from North Korea to use on Ukraine. It is a vicious cycle, and we're the ones who are being played like stooges. Continue, Senator Paul. Since the beginning of Russia's war in Ukraine, the American taxpayers provided Ukraine with $113 billion. Over the 583 days of war, between February 24, 2022 and the end of the month, that averages $6.8 billion per month or $223 million per day. So we're sending $223 million today to Ukraine. And we really don't have anybody keeping an eye on the money. There's a lot of things that we need to fix in our country before we borrow money to try to perpetuate a war in another country. When will the aid requests end? When will the war end? Can someone explain what victory in Ukraine looks like? No. President Biden certainly can't. His administration 
has failed to articulate a clear strategy or objective in this war, and Ukraine's long-awaited counteroffensive has failed to make meaningful gains in the East. With no clear end in sight, it looks increasingly like Ukraine will be yet another endless quagmire funded by the American taxpayer. I, I support Senator Paul in saying we can't continue doing this. And you know who else supports? Uh, the Polish president yesterday came out in an address that was translated. He obviously wasn't speaking in English, uh, telling his people and basically telling the world we're not going to let Poland go down the tubes for Ukraine. We're going to stop sending support to Ukraine. Now, maybe there can be a global coalition that could be put together to stop Russia, but I don't think we have a president who can do that unless Donald Trump is reelected and unless the election is today or tomorrow and not 410 days from now. Rand Paul also appeared on Fox talking about why, not just because the lack of oversight of the money, but why we really shouldn't be giving Ukraine this money. It's because what the Ukrainian government is also doing in that country. There's, there's also this incredible story about an American journalist, Gonzalo Lira. He's reportedly right now in prison in Ukraine on allegations of, of spreading Russian propaganda. I, I, understand this, that Joe Biden could approve $113 billion of money to Ukraine, and yet he has not tried to get this American journalist out of prison there? How is that possible? It's even worse than that, Maria. They've canceled the elections. What kind of democracy has no election? So next year, Zelensky said he's not going to have an election because it would be inconvenient during the war and would be expensive. Well, the thing is, if you don't have elections, why in the world would we be supporting a country that's not a democracy? They've banned the political parties. They've invaded churches. They've arrested priests. So, no, it isn't a democracy. It's a corrupt regime. And are the Russians any better? No, the Russians are worse. But at the same time, we don't always have to pick some side to be on. But the ultimate reason I'm against this is we don't have the money. And when we borrow more money, it leads to more inflation, leads to more likelihood of recession in our country. And so we just can't keep doing it. I agree. I agree with the senator. Thank you, Senator Paul. We just don't have the money and we just can't keep doing it. And we don't have the money. Look at what you're paying for gas. The price of gas just continues to rise. If you've been to the pump in the last couple of days, you understand what I'm talking about. And of course, this administration is hell-bent on not making us energy independent. Even though it's so easy to do, we did it under Donald Trump. President Trump had us being an oil and gas exporter, a world leader in that. Oh, boy. Yesterday, during the uh, hearing that happened in the House, yesterday there were some, some stars, some standouts. And I know that a, a lot of the uh, left because it's back and forth, back and forth, Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat, each getting their five minutes to uh, either ask a question or just grandstand on behalf of Merrick Garland, which is what the Democrats were doing. Although the Democrats seem to be united on a talking point, they all wanted to bring up the fact that uh, the, the judge in the Hunter Biden case was Donald Trump appointed. 
and that fentanyl was being overlooked. Finally, the Democrats are waking up to the fentanyl crisis we have in this country. Wow. It took this madness to get you on board. But the real story yesterday was about what Merrick Garland was not doing and what he couldn't remember because he said he couldn't recall. He just he can't recall certain things. And several of those things are covered by a a lot of videotape. For example, the guy Ray Epps, who's only recently been charged with a misdemeanor as it relates to January 6th, a misdemeanor. And this is the guy who on January 5th was out in front of the Capitol trying to tell people to go into the Capitol. They had to storm the Capitol. And he was spotted. He was outed by the people who were gathered that night. Here's a little clip from that video we need to go into the capitol into the capitol yeah they figured him out they started calling him out as a fed and for a couple of years now it's been known that epps was a suspicious character many thought he was part of the government many thought he was an fbi informant Uh, yeah, Thomas Massey, Congressman Thomas Massey from Kentucky, a rock star in Congress, was grilling Eric Garland, Merrick Garland, Eric Garland, Merrick Garland on, uh, on Ray Epps. Here's a little bit of that. And the day, by the way, that was in reference to Ray Epps. And yesterday you indicted him. Isn't that a wonderful coincidence on a misdemeanor? Meanwhile, you're sending grandmas to prison. You're putting people away for 20 years for merely filming. Some people weren't even there yet. You've got the guy on video who's saying, go into the Capitol. He's directing people to the Capitol before the speech ends. He's at the site of the first breach. You've got all the goods on him, 10 videos, and it's an, and it's an indictment for a misdemeanor? The American public isn't buying it. I yield the balance of my time to Chairman George. Yes, Thomas Massey was a rock star yesterday. Matt Gates, a guy who can be a little bombastic, in my opinion, was also railing on Garland for being uh, ignorant. Do you know about the money that moved through Rob Walker's shell companies, yes or no? As I have said repeatedly, I have left Matt, these matters to Mr. Weiss. I've not Blissfully intruded. Ignorant. I've not interfered. I've not to tried things. to find out it's what like he knows. It's like you're looking the other way on purpose it's, because everybody knows this stuff's happening. And you know what? People don't pay bribes to not get something in return, right? We, the, the China initiative resulted in the convictions of a Harvard professor, of someone at Monsanto. So we were working against the Chinese. They paid the Bidens. And now, we're, now you're sitting here telling me that I'm, North Korea is the big threat. I'm I got to get to- Yeah. Well done, Matt Gates as well. He um, he went after it with facts. But I think the, the rock star yesterday was New Jersey Congressman Jeff Van Drew, the guy who switched from Democrat to Republican. And uh, he's had a real awakening, hasn't he? Jeff Van Drew, let's stop and start a little bit of what he did yesterday because he deserves a gold star. You know, following your confirmation, Americans were promised they were getting a focused nonpartisan to lead their federal law enforcement. I had my doubts back then. And the last two years have more than confirmed in my mind those fears. Never in my life would I have thought that I would see such a politicized DOJ. Never in my life would I have thought I would see such a 
Department of Justice that didn't obey their own rules. Never in my life did I think I would see the egregious investigations conducted under under your watch or the blatant disregard of the First Amendment by FBI field offices under your watch. Of course, he's talking about the attack on Catholics where the FBI field offices were actually discussing putting agents inside Catholic churches because they were getting afraid of the pushback from religious people, from Catholics. Wow. There's more from Jeff Andrew. Never in my life did I think I would see our great DOJ turn into a politicized weapon to be wielded by an investigation to attack political rivals. And that's going on right now, obviously, four indictments. Four indictments of the leading candidate from the Republican side, President Trump. Jeff Andrew continues. I still hold the thousands of hardworking staff with high regard, but unfortunately there are some within the department, in my mind, who have betrayed their oaths. Yeah, and I'm looking at him right now is what he should have said, but he didn't. He's more polite than I am. And for that, you must be held accountable. Oh, there you go. I hold you accountable for the labeling of parents as domestic terrorists standing up for their proper education of their own children. I hold you accountable for the anti-Catholic memo. Imagine sending agents undercover into Roman Catholic churches because they were supposedly domestic terrorists. And I hold you accountable for unleashing a special counsel with a history of botched investigations on our current president's political rival. The department of under your leadership, I am sorry to say, and I am sorry to say, has become an enforcement arm of the Democratic National Committee. Jeff Andrew talking yesterday to, directly to Attorney General Merrick Garland. I think this last part is even one of the strongest of his statements. If there is a perceived threat to the Democratic Party, The Democratic Party, this DOJ attacks every single time. But when there are actionable threats against conservatives, this DOJ stays put. Protesters outside, violent protesters outside the Supreme Court, justices home, unpunished. Attacks on pro-life centers, unpunished. The two-tiered system of justice is clear, and it's clear to the American public. And the buck stops with the man in charge. That man is you. The actions of the DOJ are on you. The decline of Americans' trust in our federal law enforcement is on you. The political weaponization of the DOJ is on you. Absolutely, 100% spot on, correct. Thank you, Congressman Jeff Van Drew, yesterday, grilling Merrick Garland. Wow, that was good to see. You know, you know what else is good to say? I just read this uh, late yesterday. The House Financial Services Committee has banned the Federal Reserve from creating a central bank digital currency. This is huge. This is absolutely huge. The de- decision to ban uh, the Fed from making a digital currency, uh, that will prevent the Fed from being able to track your money which they could do, you know, with the um, advent of Venmo and all these cash apps that are out there, the Fed was licking its chops because it was going to be able to see what you're, what you're buying, what you're getting paid for. And they do want, the IRS wants 
you to report everything you get from the cash apps worth over 600 bucks in the course of a year. You have to file for it. Uh, kind of um, kind of a little bit of an invasive thing. And yet, if you're making the money, if you're making 20 grand a year via sales on eBay, then it could be considered that you have a store and you're going to have to pay money on that income. But a central bank digital currency was a step too far for me. So I'm glad the House Financial Services Committee did something strong. The other big story today that we absolutely have to get to is the border. What's going on at the border is nothing short of an invasion. These are uh, military-aged men in the majority. It's not families. It's not old people. It's men who should be staying and serving in their country if they truly feel like they're in the middle of a war, which I guess that's the Venezuela exception, that uh, the Biden administration is allowing a half million Venezuelans to get work permits, driver's licenses, until their uh, claims for amnesty can be heard, which will take at least three years. But if those people are truly worried about a war in their country, men usually stay and fight the war in their country. And if they're leaving to go somewhere else, they would generally take their families with them. That's not the case of the people who are crossing our southern border. Not at all. The border is not secure. No matter what Kamala says, no matter what Joe Biden says, no matter what Alejandro Mayorkas says. It is my testimony that the border is secure. We have a secure border. No, we don't. And that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. Should we have be. taken unprecedented action over the past year and a half to secure our border. And we have a process in place to manage migrants at the border. We're working to make sure it's safe and orderly and humane. The border. You know what the border should be? Secure. You shouldn't have to worry about making it safe, orderly and humane for those people. Make it safe for the damn people in this country. For the Americans, that's the real situation here. You've got parts of Texas now being overwhelmed and swarmed by thousands on a daily basis. Under the uh, Obama administration, Jay Johnson, his director of Homeland Security, said that a thousand people a day would be an absolute crisis at our southern border. We had 24,000 cross just a day ago. 24,000. And I know New York City and New York State are freaking out. New York City is overwhelmed. New York City is becoming a crap hole with all the people camping on the street and with the electric scooters illegally, unlicensed, delivering food, uninsured as well. Yeah. And it's such a mess. Joe Biden knows it. During the U.N. General Assembly meeting time, Biden would not even meet with the mayor of New York, the Democrat mayor of New York. Joe Biden wouldn't meet with him because he knows he's going to get hollered at because the federal funds just aren't there. And New York doesn't really have a drop in the bucket compared to what Texas has suffered. New Mexico has suffered uh, Arizona, Chicago and Philadelphia, close to where I live. The numbers of migrants are overwhelming this country, and we just don't have the ability to take in all these people and give them things that we're not giving to our veterans. Absolutely stunning. Uh, New York uh, Governor Kathy Hochul, 
who's not a smart person, but just finally woke up to the fact that New York has a migrant crisis. She was on CNN last night and seems to have changed her tune on the migrants. You have to be certain that you're not going to take a, uh, support a policy that's going to draw more people because places like New York really are at capacity. You know, we have large hearts. You want to be generous and supportive to people who are experiencing a humanitarian crisis, but there is a limit to what we can do. Oh, now you have a limit. I thought you were a sanctuary state. She was speaking in reference to the Biden administration's policy to allow uh, almost another half million Venezuelans to get work permits, driver's licenses, and uh, dates for their hearing, for their amnesty, alleged amnesty needs. Uh, she also she also wants those people to go somewhere else. Isn't this interesting? We have to let the word out that when you come to New York, we're not going to have more hotel rooms. We don't have capacity. So we have to also message properly that we're at our limit. If you're going to leave your country, go somewhere else. But the smarter thing is to apply for asylum before you leave your country. Uh, can you imagine if under President Trump, Donald Trump would have said, hey, if you're going to leave your country, go somewhere else. He would have been called a racist four bazillion times over. Absolutely. Boy, oh boy. Maybe that's a good sign, though, that they're finally catching on. Maybe it's a good sign that the left is finally getting it. Maybe they're finally waking up to the fact that we don't have the ability to take the world in here. And we also want people to come here for the right reasons. We want them to be productive citizens. So many questions. And I know we can't keep track of all the people. Look what's happened to the New York City school system just because of all the immigrants who've come to New York. Somewhere in the region of 40,000 non-English speaking students are suddenly injected into the system. And nobody knows their vaccination status for things like mumps, measles, rubella, all of that. Forget COVID. It's insanity. And you would not do it in your own hometown. We also had uh, some fun stuff from uh, Kamala, who's now on a, a credibility tour. That's what I call it. Kamala Harris, vice president, out there trying to make sure everybody knows she's a serious person. She's not. She's adult. Uh, she, was, she was talking about this new disease, climate anxiety. This is something that young leaders have actually told me that they've coined as a term, climate anxiety which is their fear about the, the, the future, right? And so whether they should have children, whether they should ever think about buying a home for fear that it might be wiped out because of extreme weather occurrences. And it, it pains me that they would live with such uncertainty about what their future can be. Yeah, it's, it's not real. It's fake. Climate anxiety. I've got climate anxiety. But she has good news. She has good news saying that uh, we're bringing down the cost of energy for people. Uh, what we are doing in bringing down the cost of energy. 
by helping people get rebates to put in, for example, a new HVAC system to bring down the cost of their energy bills on a monthly level, but also to improve the quality of the air that they breathe. So there are a number of things that we are doing, but it's a real issue and we have to stay focused on it and it's one of our highest priorities. Yeah, sure it is. Um, uh, but you want people to spend more money to buy a new system when their energy costs are already through the roof. Most people are paying $2,200 a year more for energy under this administration. Gasoline, heating, all of that. But Kamala wants you to know they're lowering costs, even though they really aren't. You're touting Bidenomics. They're calling it Bidenflation. Um, what is your take on, on the, if, with prices going up? Right. Well, first of all, I think it's important to, to pay attention to the fact that um, that prices need to come down in a number of areas, but we have been lowering the cost of living for so many people. But it's a real issue, and um, and I take it seriously. Uh, how are you lowering the costs for people? You're not. Every time we keep spending and printing money, the value of our dollars is shrinking, and the cost of everything has been going up, and I'm generalizing, yes. But you're not lowering the cost. Inflation is still uh, at least 50% higher than it was under President Trump. Just pointing that out there. Just want everybody to understand. Uh, some good signs. Uh, Hunter Biden was told he has to show up in court for his arraignment in Delaware in about 10 days. He was pleading with the judge to allow him to do it in a Zoom appearance from his California home. From his $20,000 a month rental in California, in Malibu. He didn't want to have to come back to Delaware. He was saying, he was, he was trying to be a helper. Trying to say that, well, if I'm not there, the traffic won't be so bad in Wilmington. Uh, it's not going to be bad. It's just you and your lawyers and a couple of Secret Service agents and some interested media. So he has to show up. I think that's a good sign. It's a very good sign. The um, the other story, and like I said, we're going to get to it, is uh, Lauren Fix, the car coach, is going to join us to talk about where we are in the auto worker strike. And we should do a little this day in history. We haven't done it in a while. I got a couple of emails from some of you saying, hey, what about this day in history? You haven't done it in a while. So let's look back on the 21st of September on this day back in the day in 1776, New York City experienced a great fire. Nobody talks about the great. We talk about the great fire of Chicago. But in 1776, the city of New York had almost 25% of the 4,000 buildings there burned in a fire. Yes, it was during our battle with the British. On, on this date in 1780, Benedict Arnold committed treason trying to sell West Point to the British. He was caught. He now becomes the uh, picture in the dictionary next to the word traitor. In 1897, Deer and Company, a farm implement company, registered the trademark John Deere. Talk about a great trademark. In 1915, one of the worst gifts ever, one of the worst gifts, gifts ever, uh, a guy bought Stonehenge to give it to his wife for her birthday. Paid 6,000 British pounds in 1915, which was a bunch of money back then. Uh, he gave it to his wife. 
she hated it. <laughs> Three years later, in 1918, they gave it to the British government. Turned out to be a pretty good moneymaker for tourism. I bet that family wishes they still owned it. But what a bonehead move. You don't buy your wife Stonehenge. You buy her precious stones. That's the uh, smart thing to do. 1937, J.R. Tolkien's uh, The Hobbit is published. 1981, Belize was granted independence from the UK. It's now a diving paradise, I'm told. Never been there. In uh, 1989, on this date, the Senate confirmed Colin Powell as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And in 2008, on this date, the last baseball game, the last Major League Baseball game was played in the old Yankee Stadium, the house that Ruth built, a place I sat and watched Yankees games many, many times during my uh, decades in New York City. It was quite a remarkable old ballpark. And the new ballpark was built to kind of look like it, but it's also got a mall inside. And this is a sad anniversary, too. It was on this date in uh, 2019 that we lost Carl Ruiz, Chef Carl Ruiz, who was uh, a dear friend and obviously a great chef. If you've ever watched uh, Guy's Grocery Games, yeah, Carl was one of the one of the regular winners on Guy's Grocery Games. And if you're a familiar listener of uh, or a regular listener of my podcast or any radio appearances, while Carl was alive, he was a regular on the radio with me. And so I think it's only appropriate for us to replay the interview we had with Carl around fake meat. Because not long before Carl passed away, the fake meat craze had started and was everywhere. The Burger King had it. McDonald's has got it. It's, it's not good stuff. But Carl had a great take on it, and we'll share that with you. First, let's take a break, and when we come back, Lauren Fix, the car coach, joins us to talk about what's happening in the auto workers' strike on the Pure Opelka podcast. It's time to talk to our friend Lauren Fix, the car coach. She knows everything that's going on in the automotive world, and today the automotive world is at the top of everybody's mind because we have the UAW strike going on, we have gas prices going up, we have people trying to figure out, can I afford a new car? We're, uh, we've got it all covered. And, and the people in California are wondering if they can afford their old car. So we'll get into it with our friend Lauren Fix, the car coach. Hello, Lauren. Hello. Yeah, this has been crazy. I mean, I'm constantly on the radio, TV, internationally, nationally. This is, there's not much sleep in my household. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, that's okay. You'll, you'll, be, uh, you'll be kind of dri driven crazy once it's all over. When the phone doesn't ring, it's nuttier, you know, so enjoy it while True. you can. Take, take yeah. the uh, annoyance and uh, turn it into a positive. Well, let's talk about, the, mm. let's talk about the automotive strike, Lauren. Um, the UAW uh, seems like they're pretty dug in, even though Stellantis put out another offer on Wednesday. Uh, any details on that that you can share? Yeah, I can. Actually, I will tell you, I am driving to Detroit for the Detroit Concours. I'm going to be judging this weekend. But I, we are planning on making a drive-by because I really don't want to get involved in too deeply into the UAW to see what's going on because they're striking at one of the plants. 
Uh, Friday at noon, there's going to be additional plant strikes because Sean Fain, who is the UAW president, said if he doesn't get what they want, then that's going to be his plan is they're going to keep putting the screws to all the brands. And just so you know, that doesn't mean that the three plants that are on strike are suddenly going to go back to work. They're going to stay on strike and they're going to add three more, one from each. Um, Stellantis did come back with a higher offer at 21% uh, increase over four years. And unfortunately, it's a no-go. Uh, they're just, they're not happy with what they're getting. They want, originally it was 44%. They feel that they've given by going down to 33% increase over four years. And, and just so you know, no matter what you feel about unions, UAW or the auto industry and the executives, the real fact is the people that start working jobs for on the production line are skilled workers. And they're, they're right now they're making like starting pay at $17 an hour. You can make more than McDonald's. Wow. I mean, and that's a problem. You can't live off of that. So the people that that if you get a new hire at one of these plants, and as you said, these are skilled workers who are putting cars together, some of them are making only 17 bucks an hour? Yeah, it's not good at all. And if you've been there a while and you, you, your total compensation, which does include all your benefits, the total value would cost General Motors is about $116,000 a year. And that's for those that have been there a while. You're not a starting worker. Uh, and that, that's a lot. They want the compensation over eight years to transition full wages from $116,000 to $141,000 in part of the new package they're asking for. That's a huge change. I mean, you're asking a car manufacturer to say, okay, if you looked at it and you were just owning a business, and said, okay, you're getting paid $116 a year and over a four-year period, you're going to be at $141,000 a year. That's multiplied times how many workers? That would that's enough to put Ford or GM or Stellantis out of business, which they've all been there at some point or another. And remember, we bailed out General Motors yeah. and the government came in and ran it and they did a terrible job. And then they put the stock back on the market and it was way below where it was supposed to. And it never recovered. Well, they still have their fingers in the soup pot over there. Then you got Stellantis. What is Stellantis? Stellantis was Chrysler. Chrysler took your tax dollars, your government money to bail out more than once, I think at least three times over its lifetime. They then gifted, essentially, at a very, very low price, sold the company to Fiat, which is an Italian company. So it's no longer home-based in the US. They then realized, we can't make money. We're in a tough position. So they sold it to the French, which is Stellantis, because the owner is Peugeot. Now, if you haven't heard of the name Peugeot, you're probably not, uh, Oh, closer to my age, but it's a French car company. And um, Carlos Tavares is a very smart man, and he's going to try and make it work. That's why you're looking at, like the new, the new Hornet is actually an Italian car underneath. So it's a real mix. It's a European thing. So meanwhile, let's get back to the workers. Um, they want the, this transition to go from a temporary worker of making $17 an hour to cut that time window of when you start making real, like a real living wage to four years. Currently it's at eight years. So that would mean that it costs more for the car companies. Jim Farley is probably the most honest of all of the CEOs. And mind you, all the CEOs are getting paid. In he's, my opinion, Farley is, too much. Farley is yeah. Ford, right? Yes. Okay. He's, oh, sorry. Talking too close to the, to the tea leaves here. Uh, yeah. Jim Farley is a president of Ford motor company. He is not the CEO. The CEO would be, uh, well, he kind of is, but it's really the Ford family. Um, and Mary Barra runs General Motors. Carlos Tavares runs Stellantis, uh, which is interesting because he's from another country, and I'm not sure how 
you know, they got a lot of UAW workers. He did say, by the way, Stellantis did say they're going to start closing plants permanently. That is mm. part of his plan. And you know where they're going to shut them down? Union states. So while we're getting the push from Pete Buttigieg yesterday, he was talking to Scott Perry, um, and they were pushing back and forth on electric vehicles, which people aren't buying. And I do have some information on that from an insider. Um, they're building battery plants, many of which are in non-union states. And that includes Ford and General Motors building in Nevada, Ford's building in Kentucky. It's like, well, those are non-union states. Because while all this is going on, if you want a car and you want something specific, you may not get it. But if you say, you know what, I just need an SUV, I don't really care. Well, there's Honda, there's Toyota, there's Hyundai, there's Kia, fill in the blank, there's the German brands. They're not being affected by this at all because they were smart enough to build in non-union states. The problem is the domestic started building in the union states, and it's hard to just say, well, we're closing and moving on because you're getting government push from the other direction. By the way, the government, which is the Biden administration, did send two people to Detroit and uh, Sean Fain, who's the UAW president, said, we don't want them, and they didn't go. Hmm. So so he doesn't want to get pushed. Mind you, that the first day of the strike, just so you know where the UAW president stands, who was there speaking on behalf of the UAW? Bernie Sanders. Of That'll course tell he you was. His uh, mindset. Yeah. yeah. They want huge money. They want the companies. They want the CEOs to make nothing. And I'm not, I think they're way overpaid. I think $29 million or $40 million is ridiculous money. That's per year. And yeah, a lot of it's not just their pay. It's based on performance. But there's no performance without these workers. So they're in a catch-22. Plus the fact that they're taking a loss on every single car because of the electric vehicles. If you had a chance or you haven't had a chance – Take a look at Scott Perry, who is representative out of Pennsylvania, having a heated conversation with Pete Buttigieg, who's in charge of transportation. God knows why, because he's completely, completely clueless when it comes to transportation, because he rides a bike and doesn't care about those of us that want cars. Uh, which does, by the way, bring me to briefly to my Friday segment that I am proving that Pete Buttigieg wants you to stop driving cars, period. That's their ultimate goal. And I think that is, uh, they're calling climate change. Call it whatever you want. I'll be covering that on my Car Coach Reports segment this Friday. Okay. Friday, we're supposed to get some kind of decision from the head of the mm -hmm. Auto Workers Union if there's going to be an increase in the number of plants that will face strikes from the UAW workers. That is correct. Noon on Friday, Eastern Time. He, no one knows what plants. People are. I've got all the local plants here. I'm in Buffalo. We've got three plants here that are involved with you know, union workers, and they're and everyone's asking me, "Do you know? Do you know?" I'm like, "I don't know." I mean, because he's not going to give out his plan. He's not going to tell you in advance we're going to shut down this plant or that plant. But I I would guess that he's going to put uh, the screws tighter because he's not getting what he wants by going after the big profit makers. He already went after the Bronco, the Ranger, the Colorado, and the Jeep. I think he's going to go after full-size trucks, the Silverado, the Ford F-150, and the Ram truck, because they're the only companies making big work trucks that are sold here in the U.S. That is the big golden goose. But he's got to be careful. He, If he pushes too hard and he really cripples these car companies, they're going to start finding what they call scabs or non-union workers. And they're and they're going to start building cars in other states and other countries, and they don't care. they got to run a business. they got stockholders they're responsible to speak to. So I, I think there's a point where you push too hard, and there's a point where you can have a conversation. And I think he's 
dug his heels in and said, I promised my people, and he has no choice, I promised my members, my union paying members, you're going to get a huge raise. If they don't get the huge raise, you know what's going to happen. It's going to get very ugly. I'm going to tell you right now, this is a very long-term strike like last time. Wow. Well, there it is, right from the mouth of Learn Fix, the car coach. Follow her on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and more importantly, the YouTube channel, Car Coach Reports. The Friday report will be out tomorrow. Lauren, thank you, my friend. Thank you. And there goes Lauren Fix, and uh, I promised you uh, a little bit of a flashback to the time we spoke with Carl Ruiz, the late Carl Ruiz, the Cuban who gave us so many great moments on radio. Rest in peace, Carl. We miss you so much. He passed away at just the age of 44. This was my discussion with Carl about fake meat. Yeah, it's terrible stuff. This plant-based meat. Yuck. It is uh, a sad flashback. As I said, rest in peace, Carl Ruiz. Well, I have questions about this plant-based burger craze that's taking over our country. In fact, plant-based proteins everywhere and all kinds of uh, protein varieties. So I needed the advice of a, a, a person who understands food better than anybody I know, my buddy, Chef Carl Ruiz. Uh, he is the guy behind many victories on Guy's Grocery Games on the Food Network, but uh, the owner, purveyor, head chef of La Cubana in New York City on 15th Street, between 9th and 10th, by the way, if you're in the neighborhood. Uh, Carl, I appreciate you carving out some time to talk about this. Um, I'm going to call it a craze, but I might call it crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like it. I'm going to start with saying it, it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, um, have you tried this stuff, right? Haven't you? I tried Impossible Burger. The first one I tried, obviously, was in Los Angeles when it first came out uh, two and a half, three and a half years ago. Really? I tried the Impossible Burger 1.0. Wow. Well, and it was awful. There was that. It was awful. There was Beyond Burger, then the Impossible Burger. And I got a feeling there's one called I Can't Believe It's a Burger or something like that. I, I... Yeah, the Impossible Burger is probably the front runner. It was created uh, by a scientist in Stanford University. Really? The Stanford guy did it. Yeah. The... And, uh, yeah, so, you know, when I think delicious, I think scientist. <laughs> but... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, yesterday I bought two of them, put them side by side. Okay. I, I went to right. Burger King and I got the Impossible Burger uh, Whopper and I got the regular Whopper. And I cut them in half and looked at them. And the regular Whopper, you know, it's beautiful. It's, it even was kind of a little pink on the inside. And I was like, wow, they didn't completely dry it out and flame it to uh, well done. And then I looked at right. the, the uh, Impossible Whopper, and it looked uh, it looked like like a piece of cardboard. I heard you describe it with Opie as a sponge, and that's kind of what it looked like. Yeah, because that's basically what it is. It's a it's a it's a meat flavored sponge. <laughs> it's it's um, you know when. 
I, I'm watching the Impossible Burger as it unfolds and the Impossible Chicken and don't even mention Impossible Tuna. But what, what it is is the, the company's constantly changing its narrative. You know, at, at, at the beginning it was, this is better for you. And then they find out, you know, it's got 14 grams of fat. It's got nine grams um, of carbs. It has half the protein of a regular burger. It has 16% of your daily intake of salt. Wow. Right? So then, so, and, and, and the best one, it's a GMO. So it's, it has genetically, uh, to create the, the, the blood and all that, that's a GMO. So it flies in the face of everything um, that, that people are constantly preaching. You know, uh, eat healthy, eat organic. And at the same time, that same person's eating this mutant. And the only testing they did on it was they fed it to rats for 28 days. And they said, <laughs> and they said yeah, it's good. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wait a second. I'm in New York City. I've seen rats eat everything for 28 days, and they're good. They can eat sheetrock for 28 days. <laughs> yeah, it's so ridiculous. So I think down the road, um, you know, I've, I've had my experience with, with genetically altered animals like uh, salmon, and they're not good. You know, the, the end results are, are not good, not good for the body. Um, you know, we might be living in 2019, but our digestive system is from the dark ages. It hasn't evolved at all. It, it, it's, it's caveman levels. So all this stuff that people are doing now, short term, you know, you make a lot of money, but long term, I don't think it's going to be healthy. I really don't. Well, I, and it's just, and it's funny to me. It's funny to me how the same people that are, you know, uh, screaming at Monsanto for, for GMO seeds and, and all the pesticides that go on stuff and, and all this stuff is the same exact person loving this stupid thing. So it's going, it's, it went from it's healthy to, okay, well, it's not that healthy. And then it went from, well, it's a, it's a great alternative to meat. And then they saw the nutritional effects and said, well, not necessarily. And now they're basically just hanging their hat on saying, uh, we're just killing less cows, which probably isn't true either. This is ama it's amazing to me. I picked up the uh, the package afterwards to read the ingredients because you really should read the ingredients of what you're eating. Right. And if you look at the Beyond right. Burgers, here, here are the main ingredients. And the first ingredients, they're all in importance, uh, order of uh, highest percentage inside. Ingredients, mm -hmm. pea protein isolate, which means they take peas right. and they extract uh, the protein from it expeller pressed right. canola oil not just canola oil expeller pressed refined coconut oil then water yeast extract maltodextrin and it's all this junk down there that and even uh, beet juice extract which i've heard they put that in there to make it look like that was blood coming from the burger right which is right and that and they mixed up the beet juice with hem and hem is a is uh, a genetically modified soy protein um, that creates that wonderful spongy uh, texture, and which will probably make you blind in twenty years when we figure it out. <laughs> well, now this is the question. Um, we rushed into the whole vaping cr thing years ago, a couple of years ago, and now we're finding out it's a terrible thing for us. How do we know this created protein substitute isn't bad for us in the long run? We don't know. 
and no one can talk to the 28-day uh, rats. No one knows where they are, <laughs> if they like it or not. But, but it, you know, this is the thing, you know, uh, but this is a new food culture, right? Everything gets rushed to market. Everyone's creating solutions to problems that we don't have. And it's marketing. So, so I, know, I know very strict vegans. I wouldn't call them friends because I don't think they're normal people, but I know, I, I know them. <laughs> I, I can have five-minute conversation with them. Um, and none of them eat the Impossible Burger. Do you know why? Because the true vegans don't like the flavor of meat. Oh. Right? It's out of their cycle. So they made it so realistic that it doesn't make any sense. Like, I am 100% okay with a natural a bean burger or a vegetable burger because you're, you're getting somewhere, right? You're, it's healthy. Uh, it doesn't have salt. It doesn't have, you know, uh, scientific binders in it. It's just vegetables in a patty or be, or legumes in a patty. That makes sense to me. And I can appreciate a very good vegetable burger when I have one, but I'm not in the business of eating science projects. You know, that it, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me if it has no nutritional value. If it has nothing except uh, except buzz, uh, I'm not going to be part of it. Well, you brought I'm up, not going to be part. Of you it. brought up a really important point. Uh, the vegans and most vegans. I have a brother and his wife who are vegans, and they haven't consumed. Hear that. Uh, it's a very long discussion. Uh, uh, Thanksgiving must be a thrill. <laughs> well, I'm I'm never at their house for Thanksgiving. Let's just put it that way. But you know they don't remember or appreciate the taste of meat anymore. It's they're turned off by right. it. So these companies have created something, and they've tried to make it taste like meat. So the vegans, their biggest market isn't going to buy it, and the people who like meat are going to take a bite of it and say. This doesn't taste anything like meat. I read one review in the Washington Examiner that said it's worse than a knockoff designer handbag. And I was like, wow, that, that's absolutely spot on. I took bites of both of mine, of the regular Whopper, and it is reliable. The Whopper's pretty darn reliable. And then I took a bite what? of the uh, Impossible Whopper, and it's just, it has a terrible smell. And the, right. the the texture is awful, and I took a bite and a half, and I gave up. I threw my hat in the ring. I said, or I I threw my towel in the ring and said, I'm done here. I can't eat this. So Burger King, you get an F from me on it. And judging from what Carl Ruiz has said, uh, it's a fail too. So let's talk about something that's not a fail, Carl. The restaurant, okay, La Cubana. Yes, it's happening. Yes. And uh, people, people should go if they go to New York. It's on 15th Street between 9th and 10th. It's uh, right there by the Chelsea Market. And you're not open Sundays yet, but you're entertaining brunch? Yes, we're going to do brunch. Uh, we're, we're, I'm testing recipes right now. We're going to bring in the Cuban sandwich. And you know how people hate me because of my whole Cuban sandwich debacle. <laughs> so that's going to be fun. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, we're, so we're getting ready for brunch. It's going to be live music. Um, and, you know, people are going to really, they're going to drink a lot of sangria in the morning. And uh, we're going to watch what unfolds. I need to get myself back to New York on a more regular basis, just for the Ropa Vieja. I just, I need to Ropa come Ropa Vieja, empanadas, <sighs> drinks, and live music at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning is going to be good for the soul. I'll tell you that much. It's a beautiful thing. Carl Ruiz, thank you, my friend. We appreciate you.
Thank you, brother. All right, thanks, folks. Thank you, Paul.